us. Romans chapter 12. To say that ignorance was a pandemic would be an understatement. Ironically, though, what I would consider people would be ignorant of is probably part of my ignorance. Ignorance, by definition, is just not knowing, not having the information. It's not pejorative. It's not negative. It's not things. It's not something we should go, oh, I'm ignorant. I'm so stupid. No, it's not about intelligence. It's about knowledge. What do we know? We are all ignorant of most things. But I would say that most believers, most professing believers, are ignorant of the Bible. And I'd say that what we often do know about Scripture is what we've absorbed, not what we have learned. What we often know about that absorption is that we've come to a place of just hearing the talking points for so long, hearing the sermons, for so long, hearing the things that we just hold is true for so long that we've never taken time out to check them for ourselves. And if we do, we just ask Siri, Google, YouTube, Tippins, or whoever else could come along and answer the question. And then we just accept it, mouth open, mind closed, burr, there it is, there's the answer for it. I've been answering Bible questions. I don't even know how many Bible questions I've answered. Back when Theology on Call was in its active days, I remember having a tally of the number of questions supposedly that we'd answered. And it was in the tens of thousands. Talking about the whole time I've been in ministry. But yet, how many of those answers were tested? And how many of those answers were tested in the context of other people learning based on their reading of the Scripture. It's funny that when you go online and you begin to look in certain communities, I'm a big community person when it comes to digging around to see what people think. Not a social media person, a community person. They're hard to get into because you have to spend some time there. You have to spend some time reading long-form things, like 27 minutes to read an article. Are you going to do that? Or an hour to read a thread. I mean, that's an investment. I've got some TV to watch. I don't want to do that. You know, same thing is true with the Bible. I think we've come to the place where we've forgotten that the Bible centers in and on and around a community. And we are looking for the quippy little short version of spending time in the Word of God. And we're wanting the answers. We want the, we want the cheat sheet. We want the AI responsiveness to to having everything at our fingertips. Well, should I wear black shoes with a brown belt? Absolutely not. It's forbidden. Unless you don't care. Who said it was forbidden? The fashion police? The same fashion police that put women in corsets and put them in shoes that their feet were malformed for generations so that they couldn't open doors or walk without help? The same people that said what certain colors had to be worn by certain people in certain areas of the world so that if you didn't have the right type of clothes on, you were looked down upon and you were a no one. Because why? Because you were looked down upon. People who are so stupid 
That they felt like when the Bible poetically said, keep the word of God in front of your eyes and near your heart, they put it in a box and hung it there. But they were the pious ones, right? Beloved, we laugh. We think, oh, how ignorant. But we are doing the same thing. We are doing the same thing as a culture. We've done the same thing. We've allowed that same type of nonsense to enter into our fellowship, into our homes, into our minds. We are walking down the road of being slaves to other people's ideas and understanding because we do not think. And think, wow, we've got to find a thinker to listen to. Got to find someone to think so that we can learn to think. Well, guess what? Thinking comes naturally to our minds. Thinking comes naturally to our existence. But the problem is we don't have anything to think about nor time to think on it. And I'm here to say for the five billionth time, hyperbole, that I don't think we're in the Word of God enough accurately and correctly. I think that we as a culture, not just we as Grace Truth Church, not just you as an individual, but we are not in the Word of God correctly. And I think we have learned to not be in the Word of God correctly because of the culture of the churches in which we've come up in. We accept things without ever questioning why. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. If your Bible says spiritual worship, that's okay, but it's a mistranslation. It's okay. Reasonable worship. Reasonable. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see why reasonable is the right word there? Because it's actually what the word is in the Greek. (laughs) And this is the context. Reasoned, logic, prudent. Your mind. I mean, that's why it's such a dichotomy. That's why people like, they pick things apart. Like, oh, no, I need to know what the good will of the Lord is and the perfect will and the acceptable will. Got three, four wheels. He does not. God is not stuck inside his mind wondering what he wants to do. There's part of what God wants that he does reveal to us. And there is most of what God is that he has not revealed to us. But all that God is and everything that he could ever show us about himself is in Christ. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern, discriminate. Doesn't that require thinking? What is the will of God that is what is good, acceptable, and perfect? And there's a lot here, and honestly, there's four hours of teaching I'm going to cram into this sermon today. I'm not kidding. Four hours. So I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, children, siblings, those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the mercies of God. See, right here, Paul is expressing the tone in which he is saying what he's about to say. 
And what we need to understand is that there is no difference in doctrine and doing. We've learned that in our little bit of time in 1 Timothy, which we'll get back to after the summer. I still want to go into some more of the Old Testament. And so we know that there, there's no difference. Doctrine and doing are simultaneously the same thing because what we learn in one sense of understanding, then we learn what to do. It's both teaching. So there, the constant gnawing, frustrating, irritating windbags of the world that love to try to find out why we're antinomian that cannot leave us alone. For those of you who are on social media, look, the sky is beautiful today. Antinomian. I mean, you know, okay. I, all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. It is not against the law or saying that we don't have to obey anything that we're told to obey because the Bible, the New Testament specifically teaches us to do certain things. That is part of the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ is not just the theological great divine things that he is and has accomplished. The doctrine of Christ is not the parsing out of justification by faith through faith. The doctrine of Christ is not deep Christological expressions of the, the substitutionary atonement. The doctrine of Christ is love your neighbor as yourself. You see? And love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And strength. So it's, it's a misapplication of the Bible when we think, okay, we got all this theology that Paul's already taught. Now we get into some doing because you hear me make this caveat every time I get into a letter, right? Here's this deep understanding. Here's this deep, rich gospel. Here's this theological truths. Here are these things. Here's, here's our salvation. Now, therefore, 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 therefore. When we hear therefore, we ask the question, what is that therefore? And it's always looking to what was already taught as a causation about what's already about to be said. Because of what I've said, therefore you do these things. They are completely and irrevocably tied together. And to separate them is to bastardize the Bible. It is to destroy the fabric of the gospel. And to emphasize one without the other is to not teach the full counsel of Christ. You see? We cannot take the Bible, and rip it up into segments. We cannot let historical theology, as precious as it is, be our guiding light to reading the Bible. At best, a Christian needs to make historical theology and theological things hobbies and interests. Not a rule. Not a rule. But even if we're not into those things, we create our own. We create our own. And so here we have Paul saying, Therefore, by the mercies of God, by the love of God, by the grace of God, by the kindness of God, by the actions of God, by the purposes of God, by the lovingness of God in sending His Son for you, Jesus Christ, to satisfy His righteousness in death. I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Living 
sacrifices. Let's put that in, a, in extremely simple terms. I want you to show up and be mindful and be, in your, and be present. I want you to be present in this world and in this life. I don't want you to be in your head being changed and rearranged by the world that you live in. I want you to be present right now thinking about what Christ has done so that it may present you and your heart and your hands and your eyes and your mouth and your feet and your arms and your, and your everything as something that is being used and given to God alive. God hasn't called us to die for Him. He's called us to live presently here in this day, in this age, in this moment. In the mercy of Christ, who is alive, you see. Oh, no, 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 no. This is psychology. Absolutely it's psychology. Who created it? God, he created your mind. Just because we've put a label to it doesn't mean that it's not true. The hypostatic union is true. Does it mean we can just understand that from that academic position and not understand anything of Christ? Absolutely. Are you, his, are you listening? Are we listening? We don't, we don't get it. Therefore, 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 this reasonable worship, this obvious worship, this logical worship, but it is very easy for us as people to, to really cater to the presence of what we have constructed as the Christian life. And I'm going to say this, and, and, and then I'll, I'm not going to really do much more with it this morning, but it's necessary. It is purely wrong, purely wrong to think that the Christian has their life together. And it is purely ignorant any Christian who says they do. Any person who says they have their life together and that they have something that they could share to a younger or weaker or newer believer that could settle their lives a little bit better in the faith <laughs> are completely deceived. Because wisdom comes from, you know what kind of mess I've been? You know how hard it is for me to keep my composure? You ever know what it's like when you just don't want to go anymore? You ever fight the fight in your own brain? In your own body, in your own marriage, in your own parenting, at your own job? Something's wrong with the person who has no burdens. At best... They're naive and just hasn't, haven't experienced enough of life yet. But what do we do? The opposite is true. The world and the culture has taught Christians that if we doubt, if we are disturbed, if we are frustrated, if any of these things are battling in our souls, if there's anything that the culture says is wrong that we're doing, we are not good people. Hallelujah. We know that. We are redeemed people. We are the righteousness of God. 
We are the sons and daughters of the Father. We are the brothers and sisters of Christ. We are those within whom the image of God has been always and now restored by the Spirit of grace. We are a royal priesthood. We are a mighty nation. We are the glory of God revealed as a light on a hill. Now I want you to hear those words. When's the last time you heard someone say that about you? That's why I can't stand to read the Puritans anymore. They were never free. It went from escape to incubation, to isolation, to introspection, to woe is me, to I'm probably going to hell, let me work harder. Oh, my dress isn't well enough. My furniture looks like a leg. They call it the wild, wild west for a reason. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice which is reasonable worship. Therefore, because of the gospel of grace, which is God's finished work, because of the gospel of grace, offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Therefore, because of the promise of glory that we will share in the future wonder of God's Son and be just like Him, not God, but we will share in His glory. We will bask in His glory. He shares it with us. He does that now and he will do that forever. He will complete us. He who has started a good work will do it. He will finish it. And it will not be on this side of earth, on this side of death. Life. Glory. Therefore, because of the purposes of God, God's fabulous will, pleasing and perfect, he works all things after the counsel of his own will, for our good, for his purpose, and we know him. Therefore, we are able to present ourselves. We're able to show up and clock in for the sake of Christ. Every single moment of our lives. Every single moment of our days. But the problem is, is that we're always too interested in what we've learned subconsciously and unconsciously, which, by the way, makes up 97% of our conscious thought is informed by our unconscious thought. We feel guilty for some reason. Why? I don't know. I'm just not good enough. I don't want anybody to find out exactly who I am. What are you thinking about? You know, I I didn't pray this morning, and I'm afraid somebody's going to know. You know, and I know that the person at church is, they pray all the time. They're always talking about how they pray, and I just don't want to, I don't want to face them because I don't pray like that. They're not praying like that. Where's that written? It's written... It's written in our minds from the world. The scriptures here says, be not conformed to this world. And the better word there would be age. To this present age. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not live according to the scheme of the age in which we're in. There's a good layman's translation of that. Do not live your life according to the scheme of the age that we're in. Remember John says, do not love the world or the things of the world, for the things of the world are not of God and are passing away. So do not love them. 
Do not be pressed into the form of this present age. And what's really crazy about it, and here's where it starts to really stick for us, is that every one of us, every person who's listening to this remotely, every person who will listen to this sermon in the weeks and months and years to come, when we hear any sermon on this and we hear as believers culturally, do not love the world, do not be pressed into the form of this present age, we have this extreme, it's sort of like a Z-tape on a cash register. Have you ever accidentally pressed that? It's like to give you your total, it's a check it out. You know, it's, it's just, the tape just comes out and out and out and out. And you're like, I messed up. And then all of your totals are emptied and there's nothing you can do. And it's just there and there's this 25 foot of tape. And you're going, oh, the boss is going to kill me. <laughs> And there probably wasn't enough, and you can't get it back out again either. Anyway, that's what happens in our brains when we hear, do not be pressed into the form of this present age. And we have this Z-tape. We have this list that runs out of our head of all the wicked, sinful, sinister, awful things that this world is and does and offers for us. And it's always this horrible stuff that we think is really, really bad. But you know what I'm beginning to think and see because of what the text of Scripture is that on that tape... I think there's more of Christian things and duties and ideas than there are what we would consider worldly. I think the world includes Christian culture. And I think if we're not careful... We're going to be caught up in it. And you will be hearing examples of those in the weeks to come. This age, all these thoughts that flow out, all these ideas, all these philosophies, all manner of arguments. When they're doing this, and they're, it's always there, right? They're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're thinking this, and they're teaching that, and they're acting this, and they're all this, and that, and that. And you hear it on the news, you hear it in the politician's mouth, you hear it in the pastor's mouth, you hear it at the barbershop, you hear it at the beauty shop, you hear it at the grocery store, you hear it everywhere you go, and there's always things. And there's passions that are wrong, and their greed, and all this imprudent, and obviously no good stuff going on, people that are getting hurt, people that are hurting. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. But beloved, I believe for us, in the context of what Paul is teaching, it is more about this. Also your religion. Also the way you think about the faith. Also the way you marginalize others in the context of your spiritual so-called biblical worldview. The way you hate. The way you have disdain. Do not be conformed by the world of Christianity. Do not be conformed by the world of evangelicalism. Do not become, be, 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 conform, be conformed by the world of Christian nationalism. Do not be conformed. This is not godly. This is not anything. This is worse than what it was in the days of Christ. In the name of Christ, God forbid that we call something evil good. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is seeing and knowing the work and the power of God and ascribing it to the enemy. A close second is seeing a bunch of evil stuff and saying this is of Christ. And that's my turn of words now. That's not a biblical doctrine. I said, a close second. Test my words. This bound up infusion of so-called God into things that where he isn't, 
hate in the name of Christ, hating people, maligning people, talking trash about people. ostracizing people, making demands of people. No Christian makes demands of people. If, and call it Christ-like, you see what I mean? Oh, we're, we're going to do it. Long-standing traditions that hurt others, some that hurt even half the population, in the name of some good. God said it, that's it. God didn't say it, you can't read. You don't take six syllables and create an entire culture around it. You don't take a word and then turn an entire world upside down on his head. Long-standing traditions that hurt others in the name of some good with ignorance to the idea of loving and living according to grace. We need to, we need to live by the Spirit, which tests these things, all things, especially things that say, this is good, this is of the Lord. See, conformity is seen. It's an outward expression. It, it's how we do and what we look like and what we say and what's audible and visible. It's, we can see the conformity. We start to see it. And so, beloved, the Christian culture is conformed to the world. And I'm not talking about the extremes. I'm talking about the norm, the average, the mean. I'm talking about myself. But transformation, it's seared into the conscience. It's seared into the soul like a, like a piece of meat on a hot iron. It starts inside Conformity is doing an outward transformation. Matter of fact, the word for that, I, I believe, is metorophul. Where we get metamorphosis in the English. From the inside, new. So it means to be transformed from the inside, new. So the inner is being transformed, and then the outside is being conformed from the transformation. And the transformation comes from thinking. 100% of the time, it comes from thinking. The Spirit of God will teach me, yes, but the Spirit of God teaches through your mind, and your mind thinks on the things that it learns. That's what we do. We think. It is not the other way around. It should not be the other way around. We should not see the world and let it unconsciously transform us. From the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks, right? You can often tell where someone stands on things and they're thinking about certain things by just being quiet and listening. Words tell a lot. Tell a lot. The thing that typically spills out of our mouth first in general conversations is something that we love the most. And that is often an expression of where we are in the spiritual sense of conformity and transformation. And that's a terrible, terrible exercise for me. Okay, I'm just going to not say anything 
I'm going to say it to myself inside my head so then I will know just what kind of a fool that I am and arrest those silly things and think more and change the way I think. I want to be mindful. It's amazing that God's created our minds to do that, isn't it? That just by thinking and thinking correctly and thinking with the right filters and thinking with integrity, vulnerability, and authenticity, speaking the truth in love. These are biblical things that we can be healed of this conformity. Perfectly? Absolutely not. But we are the children of the king. We are the, we are the, sov- we are the sovereign family. We are birthed out of God's sovereignty. What are we fearful of? Why can't we have engaging interaction and dialogue about everything? Why does our mind have to shut out everything? Why is that our, our bodies, when we hear something that triggers us, why, is our, why do our bodies respond? Because we're slaves. We're not in control. We're not right. We're not empowered. When, we, when our bodies and the anxiety and the stress and the, the fear and the anger roll out, people who have gone this path, and we know them, we are them sometimes. We are not at peace. We are conforming rather than being transformed. This is a spiritual thing. The mind is not something you can just sort of lay out and recode. The conscience, it's a spiritual thing. Philosophers since the beginning of time have have pondered the soul, the essence of life, the, the reality of being. And as believers, we know that the body, although it is good and it is working, it is aging, it is it is reeling in the effects of, of the fall. From the moment we're born, every second we're one second closer to the day we'll die. That's the half glass empty type thing. <laughs> Biologically, maybe there's an apex, but chronologically it's ticking downward. And it's a spiritual thing. And I believe we've punted the spirituality of our faith and our life into the ditch of fear. I'm not doing that. Because we've got a lot of knuckleheadedness in our culture throughout the last 50 years that have tried to resurface spiritual things and it's just a bunch of hogwash, a bunch of silliness, a bunch of ignorance. If you don't know what hogwash is, it's the slop that the pigs lay in. Sorry about that. See, the gospel is not about knowing facts. God regenerates people without facts. And this is a debate for the people that think God is bound to produce a set of precepts that must be present in the context of the Spirit making one alive. Nonsense. Where do we get that? We get that because we're fearful of doctrinal error. Nonsense. 
Every Christian church in the New Testament had doctrinal error. And we see the sermons, we see the teaching that in the book of Acts that the apostles, that God used to the apostles to bring life by the Spirit. Or the, the, the occasion, rather, it's not the means. The means is God himself as he wills. The gospel is not about, the gospel is a person who finished a promise for a people. The gospel is spiritual in its application. It's not academic. The renewal is academic. The transformation uses the mind and the study of the word of God by the spirit to bring about transformation. So there is a discipline there, but it is not unto those things that we give credit to glory. We give credit for redemption. It's a work of God whereby the spirit of God, faith is granted. Faith in and of itself is not a thing. It is not a set of principles or or doctrines. Faith is a disposition that is immediately transformative. The woman at Sychar, argumentative, argumentative, answering, apologetic, this, that, the other, boom, it's just going to be Christ. That's regeneration. No, that's the result of regeneration. The Spirit is doing this. Second Corinthians, what is that text? Second Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory, talking about Sinai and, and things of that nature, <clears throat> the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life is what he says right before that. The Israelites could not look at Moses' face because of its glory, because of its revealing, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, of death, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in the case, in this case, what once had glory had come to have no glory at all. Because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have glory. And beloved, listen to what Paul says of the Corinthians here. Verse 12 of chapter 3. I wasn't going to read this, but I saw it, so now I'm going to read it. It says, we have such a hope, we're very bold, but not bold like Moses. Who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. Think about it. Their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. And it's not the, it's not the learning of Christ through our discipline. It's the teaching of Christ by the Spirit. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all with unveiled face, seeing, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Wow. There's good news. And then... Of course, Paul keeps on and he gets into one of my favorite chapters, chapter 4, and he gets into verse 6. For God who has said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I appeal to you, dear siblings, by the mercies of God, press your lives into this living into this freedom, into this life. Press it in there. Get away from your own thoughts and mind and don't be pressed by the Christian culture, by the spiritual, just the spiritual death of what the religions of the world have said and what Christianity has tried to make it. Live in the Spirit for a change by the mercies of God, by the renewal of the mind. What is this discipline? What is this renewal of the mind? By remembering this, keeping the word of God in sight, mind and soul, meditating, thinking, having hard conversations, not, not this inductive Bible study nonsense. I don't mind if you do that, but don't think that you're becoming more disciplined in the spiritual things because you've got 15 colors and that you're outlining the scripture. Just read it. I dared to take a stab at introducing Abby to Melville this week. They called me Ishmael, asleep in third line, you know? Love that stuff. Went in the willows, too. I think I'm in chapter three. It's been like three months I've been reading it. You don't start that out by undertaking the idea of what it means to be called something. And drawing out, what is it called? I mean, was somebody yelling at Ishmael? Is that how? Now, what does Ishmael mean? Let's, let's just go there. Yeah. Just read it. Just read it. Just read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read the Bible more than you listen to the sermons on the Bible. I want you to hear that again. If you're listening to an hour of me talk about the Bible a week, you better be putting two to three hours of reading the Bible in the week. That's just, that's just my, say, my say. That's what I say. <laughs> you need to get the point there. Being mindful of the essence of spiritual things, being embodied in our lives, in these bodies, physically and mentally and spiritually, that goes against the script and yeah, I'm playing on words here, but it just sort of comes too easy for me. Goes against the script of the flesh and embraces the scripture of the spirit. Because we're reading something. We're listening to something. And if we're listening to our minds and the AI script that's running in there based on the unconscious observations of this world that we've been getting since the day we were born. The Bible says to... Resist it by testing through the filter and the lens of God's word. 
testing. You may discern what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we group those together. And some very high, amazing, godly, spirit-filled men have made amazing journeys by parsing out those three terms. And I appreciate them. Read it as it is. It's like the golden chain of Romans 8. Read it as it is and quit trying to make a system out of it. There's been much forbidden for the Christian by Christian culture. Think about it for a second. Think about the things that the Bible says we are given as a gift that Christian culture says is wrong and sinful even if we partake in an unsinful way. Movies, pictures, spirits, wine, tobacco, sports, public school, private school, home school, no school, <laughs> kale. <laughs> Every child here, like, <laughs> we've all tried kale. Unleavened bread. Leaven bread. How many rules do we have? What's been forbidden? We have to test it. And testing things requires tasting. I'm learning to cook. I mean, I've been cooking for a couple of months, and I'm, I got me like 11 different recipes now that I'm trying to work. And Robin will come in and she'll say, What did you taste? Like, How do you know what's good? I don't know. Oh, Need some more of this. Need some more of that. You got to taste it. You got you to taste it. Testing requires tasting. That's the principle. I need to write an essay on that. Testing requires tasting of some things. We know what poison is. We don't test the poison. I mean, in the chemistry lab, you know, you could tell and you could always check and there were things that you could do with sight and odor. But you never, you know, yeah. You have to have some intelligence. So we don't taste poison. We don't taste things that we know are evil. We don't taste it. We don't have to taste them in order to test them because they're obvious. But what we think, what we need to taste is, is it obvious? Is it obvious? Is what I know is obviously wrong. I need to test that. See, the conscience has different tolerances for some people. Judgment is not to be passed on someone else because of their tolerance or lack of tolerance. A better way of doing that is just mind your business. You know, I wish Paul had just said it that way. Actually, they did, didn't they? He did say it in four or five different places. Because what we've got to be as Christians, according to this text, is be mindful versus mindless. We don't just mindlessly meander through life with the security of that everything we think and do is correct. We need to filter it and discern it. We need to test it by continually reading the Bible in its totality. Reading these letters so that they're so normal to us that just like the whole album that we've learned and had all the lyrics for so many years and we might not can bring them to mind but when the song comes on we're singing man i remember this oh yeah and then we remember the dance you know we remember the dance remember the moves and the friend of ours goes, i remember the secret handshake we used to do oh yeah bro we're the roller skates let's get the roller skates and then we're doing it out there on the roller skate i probably can't roller skate anymore but you know 
It just comes back. Eating the word of God, it just comes back. It comes back. It's a promise. The spirit of God will bring it to mind. That's renewing the mind. We need to be mindful, not mindless. We need to follow a thought. We need to hear. We need to think. We need to contemplate. We need to filter it and make a decision based on discovery, not the dictatorship of the culture around us or the pastors in front of us. Do not take my word for what I say. Test my words for everything they are. In what areas are you talking? Tippins, what are you talking about? Politics. Sexuality, marriage, gender, entertainment, food, pleasure, family, family planning, education, government, religion, economic, you know, commerce. Name it. It's there. Cultural Christianity and historical Christianity, I think, are some of the biggest brainwashers of the, of the church. We just take it. Christians need to think for themselves. And not for the breeze-brought ideas that so easily blow around the wind, blow from the wind around us. We must think and study, and we must talk and consider, and we must come to conclusions that we agree on. But we must also take the idea, the small idea, that we might not always be right about those conclusions. And when you are not Coming to my conclusions, I don't have the right to discard you because of your understanding of things. You don't have the right to discard me because my views don't align with yours. If we're not able to walk together by faith in the Spirit of Christ, then forget it. We've got no business even here today. Renewing the mind is not about studying Bible things and only engaging in spiritual discussion or theology. It's nonsense. We must have a Christian mindset on everything. It means that we are to engage the world and filter our thoughts about everything through the things that we know from Scripture. Holistically. Spiritually. One sure way of realizing that you've probably been duped is that there's a couple of words or a couple of sentences or a couple of passages that prove what someone says should be a Christian worldview. At the cost of other things. See, the Spirit reveals and the Spirit restores. Let me give you some examples of things that we think about wrongly, but as Christians, we think about differently. The culture thinks about death differently than the Christian does. We suffer the same way. It hurts the same way. But the Christian has a different point of view. Because as we saw several weeks ago, Christ has overcome death. He's destroyed it. We look at suffering differently. We look at wealth differently. We look at forgiveness differently. We look at wrath and vengeance and benevolence and love in a different way. We look at government differently. Our duties as citizens, as Christians. We look at the idea of money differently. We look at marriage differently and sex differently and children differently. But I'll tell you this, the Christian culture has taken those three things and completely turned them on their heads, made them antichrist. And I've been quiet long enough about it. I've subtly taught some of those things in the context of one-on-ones and general... Not anymore. Christians have a different view of humanity. A different understanding of what is good and what is bad and what is evil, what is profitable. Christians have a different understanding of human dignity. The Imago Dei. We understand that every human being, no matter where they are in the world, no matter when they were in the world, no matter what they believe in the world, bears the image of God as a creation. 
We have a different point of view on what it means to serve each other. We have a different point of view on what it means to be equal as human beings. We understand this because, for example, like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have a different worldview. So God's will is complete. It's perfect. It's lacking nothing. And there are things in the Bible that we know we're supposed to be doing. Let's work on those. They all boil down to one thing. Let me give you, I know we're running low on time, but I told you it's four hours. I'm an hour three. This is the culmination of about 85 pages of notes over the last four months. Journal entries. God's will is complete and lacking nothing. The word of God teaches us that we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to meditate on, that, on prayer. We're supposed to pray for ourselves, pray for others, pray for our enemies. We're supposed to learn. We're supposed to live free, an abundant life, free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I'm going to tell you, beloved, I've not been this free in my entire life as I am today. I've never, ever, ever been this free. I've been euphorically free. I've been conceptually free, but I've never been this free. And I'm thanking God for it. The Bible says we should live in that way. We should love each other. We should worship together. The Bible teaches us to meet each other's needs, to mutually submit to one another as unto the Lord. Each of us, husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Brothers and sisters, submit to one another as in Christ, for this is God's will for you. You see? Mutually respect all people. Unbelievers, believers, world believers, weird believers. The Bible gives us instructions to keep quiet, to tend to our own business, to not gain a lot of attention from the, the public, to speak softly, to be patient, to work with our hands, using our talents for the sake of bettering other people. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell any of the believers, even the pastors of the church, to make their their thing being like the defender of the faith stuff. See how we can take the tiny little thing I mean, and look at the world. I mean, i got so many, I don't know how many thousands of connection requests I get on social media. For what? And these people have nothing in common with me. Because they got a Jesus sticker on their head and they think, oh, pastor, and now I'm going to connect with this guy. And I, I've just been telling people, look, I broke the mold when I entered the ministry. And you think that mold is a little the same? I'm about to step on that thing. But I, don't, I want nothing to do with people who stand on the corners and berate people because of what they're wearing. Or write articles or do YouTube videos about false doctrines and all this other kind of stuff. And they lead people all astray. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be named in that number. Because that's not of Christ. It's not of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has not told us anywhere in those things to do those things. We're to seek restoration, not by making someone come to their senses and do what we want them to do or be who we want them to be, but by submitting to the Spirit of Christ to serve them. We are to forgive. We're to love others as ourselves. <laughs> love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as you love your own bodies. Do not exacerbate your children. Don't do anything or say anything or posture yourself in any way that would make them angry. Oh, my goodness. I mean, how am I doing on that? Poorly, poorly, poorly. So where in the world do I have any intention to do anything else? See? 
And these are needs that the Bible talks about. We, we have needs as, as human beings. We worry. Scripture talks about these psychological things. Jesus is teaching in Matthew. I tell you, man, don't worry about your life. And he didn't say it quite like this. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Quit being so anxious. Or worry about your body or worry about your clothes. Don't worry about these things. Is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothes? Look at the birds. I want you to look at the, I want you to be mindful. I want you to be present. Jesus is saying, I want you to look around the world. I want you to look out there. Is that tree and that bird, is he fretting? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to get worms tomorrow. No, he's just tweet, tweet, tweet. Mindlessly, mindfully, we have a reason, a therefore, to renew our minds, to focus on life from a different perspective. Our worldview is about spiritual lives and the power and the sovereignty of God, not fixing the temporal life. Because it's not going to fix. But we're not going to fix this. It's not our calling to fix this. And it's not our problem to worry about it. We have needs to be safe. I mean, David's Psalms. Which one wasn't about safety? Or a result of being safe. He worshipped God greatly when he was safe. When he wasn't safe, he scared and cried and talked and then when you know when he sinned he was repentant and all that other kind of stuff in peace i will lie down and sleep for you alone lord make me dwell in safety the name of the lord is a strong tower remember that the song yeah it's in my head too the righteous run into it and they're safe let's go ready come on guys stand up y'all know the song every human being needs to belong and to be loved, and to love. John 13, a new commandment, I give you love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12, 10. We need to have a sense in which we know who we are. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor of life. Peter says in First. Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And as I've just quoted Ephesians 2, 10, we are God's workmanship. These are needs that we have as human beings, as image bearers of our Father. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And I talk a lot about rest. Rest for our bodies, rest for our minds, rest for our souls, rest in this fight. This is a need. We can have this rest in spurts, if we renew our mind and show up and be present, living our life through a lens of peace, through the lens of righteousness. So that when Paul tells the church of Colossae to set your minds on the things that are above and not 
the things that are on earth. And he says the same things to the church of Corinth. He says the same things to Philippi. It's, it's a constant thing. This is the point. We are focused. And it doesn't mean theological studies or biblical studies. It means put a filter through everything. Everything we see, we can filter it through the sovereignty of God and his mercy and his love for us. Therefore, 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 present yourself. So, beloved, present yourself today in a place of freedom, authenticity. Three weeks ago, I think I, I preached on that. We have to be who we are. And we are the righteousness of God. We don't have to hide from one another. We don't have to hide from our Father. Be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the purposes therein that you have given us. I pray that as we move from this moment, that as a family we would be in more intimate, that we would come to a place of understanding each other, looking through eyes of empathy and feeling what each other feel knowing that we are not alone, we are not the only imposters of the bunch, we are all imposters. But Father, you are not, you are not a liar. You are not able to lie. And you have told us the truth concerning your son Jesus. And you have told us the truth of sending your spirit. And he is teaching us this very moment. And we are at rest. And so Father, let us remember these things. In Christ's name, amen.